This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Ghosts, the unexplained, and events that defy all understanding fall into the category of the paranormal. Multitudes of people like you and me have witnessed things like this. Apparitions, glitches, things that just don't make sense. The following are allegedly true scary stories about encounters with the paranormal. Are you ready to believe? Tell your paranormal experiences in the comments below. Or if you want your story to be possibly featured on this show, share it with us at darknessprevails.org. Let's begin. Uktina in the River From Kaiba Girl 17 Location Unknown This story was told to me by my friend A. A and I are both Cherokee, with me being half on my father's side. The two of us met in freshman year, but we both grew up hearing legends of the Cherokee from the little people to Spearfinger. But one of the most infamous and a favorite of mine was always the Uktena, a giant serpent with horns and a beautiful crystal in the center of its forehead. Legend has it that though it was eventually destroyed by a hunter, it left hundreds of its offspring throughout the Cherokee lands, mostly in water, which is what people used to say caused the unpredictable currents that occasionally occur in the deeper parts of the rivers and streams here. But A always said she believed it was just a story to scare kids into staying in shallow water. Cautious and paranoid from an early age, I disagreed. I've swam in deep water since I was a toddler and never saw any giant snakes, but I still believed. One afternoon in junior year, A and I were talking together with another friend of ours, and somehow the topic got back to the Uktena, and A suddenly looked uncomfortable. What's wrong? I asked. Do you remember your uncle used to say the currents in the river by the beach were caused by Uktena's offspring? She looked scared as she said it, so I knew she was serious. What about it? I asked her and then I remembered her saying one of her grandfathers frequented that area. It's not really what you'd consider a beach. It's just a strip of land similar to one when it meets the river. But everyone here calls it a beach. She nodded. Grandpa went there, said he saw a snake about seven feet long and as wide as a tree. A looked more afraid than I'd ever seen her. It was lying on the beach and just sunning itself. Did it attack him? I asked. I felt a chill run down my spine. A shook her head. No, I don't even think it saw him, she said. The second he saw it, he ran for his life. Smart guy, our friend said, laughing and shaking her head. Natives seem to have the craziest stuff to deal with, she continued. A and I both agreed. We believed her grandfather, even if no one else did. After all, my father and uncle and other relatives have spoken of seeing snakes like this 
snakes up to seven feet long, wider than trees, and some bigger than that. I still love swimming in deep water, but the moment I feel something brush against my legs, whenever I'm near the beach or water, I head straight for the shore. I don't fear snakes, but I don't want to risk being eaten alive by the Uctena. Creepy Window Encounters From John G. Location Unknown As far back as I can remember, I've always had this feeling where I just knew something bad was going to happen, or at the very least, whether something I was about to do would have more of a bad or good impact on my life. I guess it was intuition. Of course, I didn't always focus on such things like right versus wrong, since growing up, I liked to have fun and experience new things that life had to offer. When it came to thrills, though, such as exploring graveyards at night, or sleeping over at a haunted building, I have and still am very cautious. I learned rather quickly that some things shouldn't be tampered with, and are best left alone. However, what do you do when someone or something comes looking for you instead? Growing up, I may have been somewhat rebellious because of reasons and had all sorts of adventures, but when I entered my room, that was supposed to be it for the day. Relaxation, time to do homework that I was putting off or get ready for bed. Put simply, my room was my safe haven the place I could unwind and relax or vent my troubles away. It was the climax of any adventure I'd gone through that day, and despite the occasional nightmare or creepy bug, my room is where I felt safest. But on an occasion, my family moved into a new house. The moment we entered, I knew I wouldn't like it. It felt like you were being watched, and there were these three weird carvings into the wooden walls of the center of the house that looked like bullheads, and the three, when connected, formed a triangle. One time in the backyard, I felt drawn to a tree there, and in front of it was a tooth sticking out of the ground. It resembled a human molar, but it was much larger. I assumed it was some animal's tooth, and using sticks, I placed it in a bag to bury it elsewhere, while praying the animal would rest in peace. During the winter months, though, we got hit by a series of snowstorms, and after every snowstorm, what my dogs and I discovered were a single line of footprints in the shape of a V, leading directly to my bedroom window. They were lightly embedded into the snow, as a friend pointed out to me, meaning whatever made the tracks was quite light, but that didn't necessarily mean they were small. These tracks did not come in a pair of footprints, only in a curved line leading directly to my bedroom window, and they seemed to be originating from the location where I found the large tooth or tree behind it. They seemed to be appearing only after every snowstorm, and never any other time. I tried looking for every rational answer I could think of, but I couldn't come up with anything. Heck, I couldn't even identify the tracks. Something I couldn't identify was watching me directly through my window, and the thought that it came here more than once and never left tracks leading away freaked me out. This meant that my room, my safe haven, 
wasn't actually all that safe after all. It isn't like I felt all that scared from the tracks, but I definitely felt vulnerable for the first time. I mean, who knows what it did when it reached my window while I slept. We eventually moved out of that place after some creepy stalker issues came up, and fast forward two years later, an even stranger event took place. The new place I stay in is a two-story house, and my room is in the very top corner. Overall, it's wonderful, but again, I've had strange occurrences. A little after we first moved in, it was after midnight, and I woke up to take my dog out one last time for the night. I exited the back porch and I let my dog do its business, but I felt immediately like I was being watched. I slowly turned around and a ruler's length away from my face was the biggest deer I've ever seen. It was watching me. Easily seven feet tall and its galloping was a bit louder than a horse's. This new place is definitely close to the city, but since the backyard is connected to a forest area, I can understand a deer rarely coming over. Still though, I've never seen one that big, so this really jolted me out of my exhaustion. That following winter, I started to worry about this creepy yet fuzzy memory I have of my parents leaving my brother and I at some inn type of room when we were toddlers which my brother supposedly remembered, but my parents did not. I still wonder if it really happened. It feels hazy to think about. Back to that winter. One night, this memory kept bugging me, but I ignored it and went to bed. That night, though, I had a dream that my brother and I were with my parents in a motel, watching fireworks. When the fireworks started to change into moving lights, the lights headed toward us, and as I ran, my body froze and fell to the ground. It was like sleep paralysis, but I could move a tiny bit more. Around me, everyone except my brother and I were knocked out, and a spotlight began to shine into our room over my brother, and with a weird swooping sound, it disappeared. After a few seconds, the light shone on me, and when I said, me too, everything went white, and I woke up. When I raised up in bed, I rubbed my eyes and immediately looked at the window. To my horror, a green light was shining through the window, and these numbers, yes, numbers, seemed to be flowing over the blinds. Even after rubbing my eyes again, they stayed there, which caused me to freak out a bit and stay awake for the rest of the night. Remember how I said it was winter? Well... That next morning, all the snow in the shape of a circle had been melted outside of my bedroom window, and my room is located on the second floor. My most recent encounter was with a strange orange orb I saw outside of my window. It seemed to vibrate in one position for a bit, before slowly moving up like a rocket, then jetted away in the opposite direction of some nearby planes. I've always considered myself a lucky person, but as of late, as I've continued to experience more situations following the three accounts mentioned, I don't know if I can consider myself lucky anymore. The Room at the End From 
Outlander. Location, unknown. This happened around 2005, when I was in my late 20s. I had been working with a friend of mine off and on since 1999 at his father's cabinet shop, which was located behind his dad's house. My friend still lived at home, so I would come over sometimes and stay the night so we could get an early start. The house had four bedrooms, his father and stepmother's room, his room, his stepbrother's room, and a spare room that had a bed and a TV. That's where they also stored old antique stuff, like small tables, children's rocking chairs, an old dollhouse, which was really creepy looking, an old clown doll, and other dolls. The room with the antiques was at the end of the hall right next to his stepbrother's room, but he was often gone to his girlfriend's. Every time I came over, they told me you can stay in the spare room. I would just say that's fine, preferring to sleep on the floor in my friend's room because to be honest, that room creeped me out and I didn't want to tell them. But eventually I gave in and started sleeping in that room, but I'd always keep the TV on with the volume on mute. Now I'm not afraid of the dark, but like I said, I got a creepy vibe from that room. The first few times I slept in there passed by without incident, but I could never shake the feeling that I was always being watched in there. One night, however, I was lying there with the TV on, trying to get some sleep. It takes me some time to shut down and the TV kind of helps. I kept feeling like a fly was landing on my nose and my eyelid and in my ear, but no matter how much I swatted at it, the thing persisted. Until I was finally fed up, and I made a loud grunting noise in frustration. As soon as I did, I heard a little girl giggling, followed immediately by an older man with a deep voice saying, Hush, be quiet. Needless to say, I immediately jumped up, left the room, and slept on the lazy boy in the living room that night. The following day, I told everyone about my experience, and because of previous stories I told them, I was accused of bringing something into their house. I told them that I hadn't had any such experiences in the last couple of years. Whatever it was, was here already. Eventually, they got themselves a large warehouse building to run their business out of, and the times of me coming over to stay the night became fewer and fewer, but I continued to work with them. Two or three years had passed since I last stayed the night in that house. I had stopped by for a visit with his stepmother, who was taking care of two children that belonged to one of their relatives. The children had to stay with them for a while, and they were sleeping in that guest room that I stayed in. So I'm sitting there just chatting, when his stepmother started telling me about how one night, he was telling the boy and his younger sister to brush their teeth and go to bed. The little boy was reluctant and said that he did not want to. When asked why, he simply said, because the little girl and old man will not leave him alone. After hearing this, I was quickly reminded of the incident and refreshed her memory of it. We both sat quietly for a moment in disbelief. I have not been back to that house in a long time and no longer work for them. I sometimes wonder if the little girl and the old man are still there. 
This episode is sponsored by The Dead Files from Travel Channel. If you're listening to anything on the EerieCast network, odds are you love ghost stories. That's why I think you'll love The Dead Files from Travel Channel. Join hosts Amy Allen and Steve Deshavi as they investigate paranormal activity haunting real people and homes across the US. Each host offers a unique and exciting perspective for every case. Amy is a medium, seeing and speaking to those who are no longer in the world of the living. And Steve is a retired homicide detective who uses public records and witness testimony to piece together the history of the haunted location. Each episode of The Dead Files features a different, real haunting to possibly help the family struggling with its effects. One episode on Falconer, New York deals with a family who keeps waking up with scratches and bruises. They frequently witness a shadow figure lurking around their home. Amy and Steve receive their call and investigate, with Amy using her strength as a medium to understand who the presence is coming from and why it's so angry, while Steve separately researches the history of the home, only to discover several previous residents who lived at the home died, confirming Amy's own findings. After their investigation, Amy and Steve must conclude with whether the house is safe to remain in or if it's time to get out. I really love the deferring perspectives and skill sets between the two hosts, and I think that's why The Dead Files is a must-listen podcast for any fan of the paranormal and supernatural. Listen to The Dead Files wherever you get your podcasts. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. The Little Hand from JD. Location unknown. This story was told to me by my father only once, shortly after it happened. He was sharing it in a room full of adults, and I was five at the time, clearly not meant to hear it. I have since asked him about it, and he claimed to have no idea what I was talking about. In the summer of 1992, Burger King ran a campaign offering inflatable toys with Disney characters Figaro and Cleo on them. I remember that my brother and I had one, and then one day it was just gone. I didn't understand why, until I heard my father tell this story. He would work during the night and come home very late. He was standing in our dark kitchen one night making himself some dinner and a drink. According to him, our inflatable Figaro toy was sitting high up on top of a cabinet. To this day, I have no idea why it would have been way up there or how it even got up there, since it was a highly unusual place to find anything of ours. Anyway, what happened next seems so innocent, but the thought of it chills me to the bone. My father said a small hand appeared out of the darkness at about a child's height. He said it pointed up toward the toy that sat on top of the cabinet. He asked, do you want that? As if nodding in response, he said the little hand bobbed up and down. He then took the toy down from the cabinet, 
gave it to the little hand and watched it retreat into the darkness. I have no idea what to make of this story, to be honest. It kind of makes me sad to think of who or what this paranormal child might have been. Perhaps he or she just wanted a toy to play with. Ghost on Route 52 from Scarlet 13. Location, Red River, New Mexico. This happened to me many years ago, but it's quite true. I was 17 years old and my best friend at the time invited me to go to Red River, New Mexico during the summer with her parents. The idea was to drive there and stay for a week, hiking and exploring and just hanging out. After a long trip from Texas and listening to her parents' Infinite Eagles playlist, we finally arrived. It turned out that her parents both had colds and they were tired from the drive. They decided to turn in early, so my friend and I decided to go explore the town. It was close to happy hour, so being teenagers, we ended up at the local pub drinking white Russians using her dad's credit card. Yeah, we were underage, but that place didn't seem to care. We met a group of young people from Red River and ended up having a few drinks with them. They eventually left and we decided we were up for something more adventurous. We called an older friend who was living in Taos at the time to see if he wanted to meet up. He was headed out to dinner with some friends and invited us to meet him there. He told us that Red River is only about 35 miles from Taos, which is roughly a 40-minute drive, so it didn't seem like much. Now, I don't really know what was going through our teenage minds trying to act older than we were, but I do remember that after the initial rush of the idea, I became extremely reluctant. After all, this would imply my friend taking her parents' car without their permission, because, let's face it, any parent in their right mind would never let their 17-year-old drive to another town in the middle of the night, especially after some drinks. After some heated debate, we decided to go back to the hotel and check on her parents before deciding. Sure enough, they were both sound asleep, and from the looks of it, in spite of their colds, they had had a few whiskeys as well. That was the clincher, so my friend took the keys and promised we would only be gone for a while. It was still pretty early in the evening, so I rationalized it in my mind and conceded. The next thing I knew, we were on the highway, music blaring, wind in our hair, and super excited. We made it to Taos with no problems and met up with our friend, and had a great time. But around 11pm, I insisted that we had to get back, as it was getting pretty late for us to be driving alone on a dark highway. We hadn't had anything to drink for a while, so we were good to go. Now, Route 522 from Taos has a pretty flat, straight shot to Cuesta, where you have to take a right on Highway 38, and then it's a partly straight and partly winding road back to Red River. This is where things started to go wrong. The highway was unlit, so the only light was from the partly clouded moon, our car lights, and literally just two or three cars that passed us on our way there. We were having fun and talking about our adventure, when we both noticed that we had been driving straight for way too long. There were no immediate signs in sight, and my friend slowed down as the reality of doubt quickly doused our high. Then to make matters worse, the low fuel alarm went off. I made her pull over, 
so we could look at her parents' map and decide if we had passed the turnoff to Red River, or if maybe it might still be just a little further up. We were trying to calculate how long we had been driving and how much further we could get with the fuel left in the car. Either way, we both knew that we had really screwed up. Suddenly, we saw the lights from an oncoming car in the distance, and my friend started insisting that I get out of the car to stop the driver. I told her she was crazy. Either she could do it or we could both get out. Now, we had been friends since we were about 10 years old, so I knew her well. She was kind of the mischievous encouragement that I needed to do stupid stuff, like what we were doing that night, but she was always a scaredy cat when it came to doing anything like what she wanted me to do, if that makes sense. So I grabbed a screwdriver from the glove box, got out of the car, and stood in front of our car lights, starting to wave around like a mad person. As the car approached, I remember noticing that it was an older model sedan, my heart was racing with mixed feelings when it started to pull over. I began to clench the screwdriver deep in my coat pocket, but when I saw that the driver was just an elderly woman, I looked back at my friend, and she returned it with a reassuring go-for-it kind of smile. The woman stopped her vehicle, and I approached her window but kept a very safe distance. I told her that we were on our way to Red River and weren't sure if we had missed our turn or if it was still ahead and that we were almost out of gas. She told me that it was a few miles behind us, that once we got back on Highway 38 to town that we could probably get the security guard at Molly Mine to give us a little gas from the pump if we didn't think we would make it. I didn't know what Molly Mine was and didn't even notice it on our way to Taos, but then again we weren't exactly looking for anything else at the time either. She said she was the owner of the mine's wife, and told me her name. Now, to be quite honest, I don't recall her name anymore, but that doesn't matter. I thanked her a lot, and she drove off down the highway. I got back in the car, and we turned around and drove slowly to save gas. When we saw the exit, we took the left turn with measured relief. The fuel light was indicating that we would only get another seven or eight miles, and Red River was 13 miles away. We kept looking for Molly Mine, or a gas station that maybe we hadn't noticed on our way, but saw nothing. We drove in heavy silence, praying that the car would make it just a little further, and then it started to lurch, and we knew we were doomed. The car came to a full stop, and my friend was barely able to pull safely over to the side of the road. We exchanged looks of dread, and she started whining about how her parents were going to end her. I remember telling her that was the least of our worries, it was after midnight, and we were alone on a pitch-black mountain highway five miles out of town. I grabbed the screwdriver again, and we abandoned the car. We tried not to bicker as we walked into the cold night air, but when we weren't talking, the silence around us was terrifying, deafening. Suddenly, we hear a car and turn to see a van coming around the bend behind us. We didn't know if we should hide or run the risk to see who it was. Either way, it didn't matter. The driver had already seen us and flicked the car lights to acknowledge that he was there and coming to a stop. We were like petrified deer staring at the headlights. The lights then dimmed and the van door opened, but we didn't or couldn't move. Then someone called out to us 
they knew our names. It was the group of people that we had met earlier that evening at the local pub. I'd never felt so relieved in my life. We thanked them dearly and told them that we needed to get some gas. They assured us that we would not be able to get gas or a way back to the car until dawn. We knew we were totally busted, but somehow that didn't seem so bad anymore. We jumped in the van, and as we were driving back to town, we excitedly told them our story. But when I came to the part about stopping the owner of Molly Mine's wife on the highway and her comment about getting gas from the pump at the mine, they all went quiet and exchanged glances. I looked at my friend and she asked them what happened. I insisted with my story and even mentioned the woman's name, and with that, they all freaked out. We demanded that they explain what was going on, and finally, one of the group told us that that part of the mine where there used to be a pump hadn't been open or active for years. And worse yet, the owner's wife had perished in a car crash on Route 522 several years ago. The paranormal surrounds us, but with mankind's limited perception, we may never truly understand it. That's why we call it the paranormal, after all. Luckily, or rather unfortunately, sometimes the paranormal reveals itself to us, whether we're ready or not. Here come the nightmares. Good night. If you enjoyed this episode of Darkness Prevails, be sure to like, share, comment, and subscribe. If you want your story to be featured on the show, you can submit it to us at darknessprevails.org submit. If you want to support the show, go to patreon.com darknessprevails. Or, if you'd like to browse our merchandise, go to teespring.com stores darknessprevails. Or if you're on YouTube, it's as easy as clicking the shop button below this video. Thank you. Now, as usual, here are my five favorite early comments from the previous video about six lost-in-the-woods scary stories. XDLANRADZAG says, I'm going to get lost in the woods. Bye. Well, be sure to come back. You don't want to miss more scary stories, do you? Bramble Chaser says, Well, at least I have this considering the screwed-up Super Bowl halftime show. Oh boy, what did I miss? I didn't even see the Super Bowl this year. Looks like I got some YouTube searching to do. Landon Wilson says, Basement stories next. That's a great idea. Now tell us, Landon, what is in your basement? Jasmine Gonzalez says, I'm lost in the comments. No worries, I found you. Now we can go to the woods together and never come back. And Jawa says, Do the creepiest night sleeping in the car. That's a really good idea too. A lot of us have been there at one point. Plus, it's always a creepy experience. Well, that brings us to the end of this episode of Darkness Prevails. But don't you worry, more scary stories are on the way soon, so stay tuned. Until next time, here are the credits to my amazing patrons who continue to donate. Remember, stay safe out there and stay creepy, because this world is a strange one.
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.